I don't know how many of you like musicals. Um, they're kind of one of those things that people either tend to love or hate. And um, I have to confess that I'm pretty firmly, for the most part, by maybe one or two exceptions, in the love them category. And um, I, I really like musicals. Um, one musical that I've never actually managed to see on stage, um, I've been in the orchestra pit for, um, but I've never actually managed to sit and watch it. Um, but it, they made it a fantastic film adaptation of it a couple of years ago, is Lamer's Rabbles. Um, fantastic um, music. And I don't know how many of you have seen it or, or know the story. Um, maybe very rare few of you have even read the book um, by Victor Hugo. Um, I don't think there's probably many people who fit that category, but maybe one or two of you have. Um, but Les Mis is set in early 19th century France. Um, and it's, it features uh, and focuses on a man called Jean Valjean. Um, and he's a man who, at the start of the, the story, has been in prison for 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread in order to feed his sister's starving child. And he's on parole, and he escapes. And he decides, I'm going to go for it, and he, and he escapes. And um, he takes refuge in a church. And I don't know how you would feel if, um, out of the kindness of your heart, you'd taken somebody into your home. And you'd given them a bed for the night and you'd fed them and you'd, and they kind of threw that kindness back in your face by stealing from you and, and doing a runner. No, but the bishop, he responds in an amazing way, doesn't he? He responds by having mercy on Valjean. Forgiving him for what it is that he's done, letting him off the hook. And then going beyond even that to being generous with him and blessing him with more wealth than he'd ever known. And the bishop says, take this silver, take this blessing and go out and live differently. Become an honest man. He even goes so far as to say, as by this act, God has raised him out of darkness. And that he now belongs to God. And in this moment, doesn't deserve a jot of it, but Valjean receives forgiveness. And he receives blessing. He's given a complete new identity as an honest man. And he has a choice as to what he's going to do with it. And the story goes on and what we discover is that Valjean, he, he takes hold of this new identity and he commits his life to living for the sake of others, to see other people's lives transformed, to bring hope, to bring change in the community until finally he dies as a free man and a fulfilled man. And you know, in many ways, I think Valjean's story gives us something of a picture of the Christian life. Something of the situation that we are in before we know Jesus, when we're all on our own. Something of the forgiveness and the blessing that is available to us and the new identity that we receive when we come to Jesus. Something of the purpose that we're then given as a, as a, as a, this call on us to go out and to live differently. And then like John, Valjean, we're given a choice. We're given as a choice as to what we do with the blessing and the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace and the purpose that we've received. 
And you know, this is exactly what we see in how Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians. You know, as we've been going through our series, um, Life in Colour, we've seen in chapters 1 to 3 um, how Paul starts off by trying to help us to get hold of and to understand something of the blessing, something of what it is that God has done and how amazing it is what we have in Jesus. The forgiveness that is available to us, the new identity which is ours. And then in chapters 4 to 6, Paul gets practical. Having told us what God has done, he now tells us what we must do, how we're to live differently. And the verses we're going to look at today are really the kind of the hinge point of the entire letter to the Ephesians. As as Paul kind of changes tack from this focus on all that God has done and the blessings that we have. And it's nothing to do with us to this focus now on how we're to live differently. So this is what he writes, Ephesians 4 verse 1. He starts off and he says, Therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul says, therefore, as a result of everything that I've just written about, live differently. Live in a manner that is worthy of the identity and the calling that you've been given. And the order, I think, of what Paul says here is really important. Because naturally, every single one of us, we are wired in a way where we think about what we need to do in order to get things. Because that's just the way that life works, isn't it? If we want stuff, we've got to do stuff. And so, but Paul makes it clear that before we focus on what we must do, we need to pause and remind ourselves what God has done. Nothing that we deserve before we've done a thing, what God has done. And so we're at this hinge point in the letter. And Paul's about to shift and to talk about how we live differently. But Paul says you can only live differently because of what God has done. It's a therefore. We've got to look back. We've got to remind ourselves and to remember what God has done for us in Christ. Who we are in Christ. And so before we even begin to to look at how we live differently, I want us to just take a moment to remind ourselves some of the things that we've been learning about and focusing on over the last kind of few weeks and months from Ephesians chapters 1 to 3. And this isn't an exhaustive list, um, but it captures something of what Paul's getting across to us. And I think it'd be great to have a little bit of participation. Uh, So I'm going to stick some statements up on the screen and uh, we're going to read them together as a reminder of what Paul says. So here we go. In Christ, I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. In Christ, I have been chosen and accepted. In Christ, I am God's child. In Christ, I am forgiven and declared holy and blameless. In Christ, I have a sure future. In Christ, I am no longer dead in my sins. I am alive. In Christ, I have a purpose bigger than myself. And in Christ, I am greatly loved.
Isn't that an amazing truth? And it's good to be reminded of what God has done and who we are in Christ. And we need to be reminded and to constantly keep coming back and reminding ourselves, as Penny was talking about earlier, declaring the truth of who God is and what he's done and the hope we have. Because when we lose sight of who we are in Christ, if we're not careful, it's in those moments that fear and insecurity and pride and self-reliance starts to creep in. It's when we lose sight of of who we are in Christ and we stop reminding ourselves of it that we naturally just begin to drift to, to see things in the way that the world teaches us to see things. To act in a way that the world teaches us to act. To try and solve our problems in the way the world tells us this is how you solve your problems. We, are, we need to remind ourselves of these truths so that they shape the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see God, and the way that we see the world. And when we do, it transforms the way that we live. And we begin to experience life in color, life as God has it for us. Prince Charles tells um, a story about when he was a young boy. Um, and when he was a young boy and he, he lived wrong, when he was a young boy and he did something that he shouldn't do, and how his father would say to him in those moments, my boy, remember who you are. Essentially, you are a prince of this country. You have a great identity. You enjoy great blessing and great privilege. Now live worthy. Live up to your calling. And this is exactly what Paul is getting at here at the start of chapter 4. He is saying, therefore, now that you understand who you are in Christ, now that you understand how you've been forgiven, that you're a child of God, now that you understand that you've got this secure future, that you've been filled with the power of the Spirit to equip you and enable you to live today for Him, now that you've got hold of all of this, my dear boy, my dear girl, remember who you are. Live worthy. Live up to your calling. And this is something that Paul urges us and begs us to do. This is a big deal for Paul. And the fact that he's making such a big deal about this, that he's urging and he's begging followers of Jesus to live worthy, shows us that it's not something that will just come naturally. If it was, he wouldn't have to worry about it, would he? He knows that it's something that we need to be proactive in and intentional in. Because if we're not careful, what naturally happens is that we forget who we are and we drift back again and again to the way the world has taught us to handle situations, to think about ourselves, to treat other people, to solve problems. And that's why Paul begs us. He begs us not to let that happen. And instead, to be people who are proactive in reminding ourselves of our identity in Christ and committing ourselves to live in a manner that is worthy of it. 
And we're going to unpack a little bit of what Paul starts to talk about, how that looks. We're going to be unpacking it over weeks and months, but we're going to begin to unpack it a little bit today. But we, before we do, I think it'd just be good to pause and, and think about that word worthy. Because when we think about the word worthy, we tend to think about somebody who deserves something. And so it seems like a strange word for Paul to pick, to use, to talk about how we're to live, because it seems like he's saying that we need to live in a way that we deserve something. And and we know, if we're honest with ourselves, that even on the best of our days, not one of us is capable of living in a way where we match a standard that we deserve the blessing and the goodness and the forgiveness that God gives to us. So what is it that Paul really means? And I think we get a better idea. I don't think worthy is the best word that, to, to kind of use to, to capture what Paul's saying here. It's not the best translation. The best translation is, um, well, it's, it's a word that nobody have a clue what it means anyway, really. It's axiomatic. And, um, and that doesn't help us either, does it? And so, so let's think about what that really means and unpack it a little bit. And so, so the word that I think is so much more helpful to use is to say that Paul is saying to us, to, he's urging us, he's begging us to live in a manner that reflects or that demonstrates or that is evidence of what God has done and who Jesus has called us to be and the work that he's done in our lives, that we, that what it is that we've received from him. The, the way that we live should put on display and make what Jesus has done for us and who we are in him self-evident that the one should reflect the other. And this means that we're not trying to be worthy of God's blessing and his goodness in a, in a way that, that means that we're trying to, to earn it and say that we deserve it and that we kind of match that standard. We're trying to live in a way that demonstrates and that puts on display all that we've received from God, all that we've freely been given to us. The blessing and the forgiveness and the grace and how he's transformed us from the inside out. And so Paul urges us to take hold of not only the blessings that we have in Christ, but to commit ourselves to live in a way that reflects and puts those blessings on display. And the rest of Ephesians is really Paul just unpacking in practical ways for for, for the followers of Jesus what this looks like. And if you had to imagine for a moment and describe what a life that reflects what Jesus has done looks like. I don't know what you would come up with. Maybe try and think what would be your kind of top two things. What does a life look like that reflects the kind of things that we've been learning about in Ephesians 1 to 3? I don't know what you'd come up with, but for Paul, I think his top two things, if you had to sum it all up, would be living Lives of purity that honor God and demonstrate our love for him. And living lives of unity that demonstrate our love for one another. That Paul's top two things could be summed up simply as purity and unity. And Paul says, if this is going to be possible, then the starting point is our character. 
And we'll unpack the different practical things as we go on through the letter. But really today is just focused on our character and the attitudes that we have. So we're going to go back to verse 1 again. And this time we'll read through verses 2 to 6. This is what Paul says. He says, Therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about all of the blessings and all the different things that we've received from Jesus, the kind of things that, that, that Paul teaches us about in Ephesians 1 to 3, if I was going to try and sum up what it looked like to live life worthy of that kind of a calling, this wouldn't be what I'd end up with. I would probably come up with something along the lines of that I urge you to live in a manner worthy of the calling that you've received, full of confidence and faith and joy and assurance and security to be people who uh, who don't put up with any kind of, of sin in your life and you stay clear from it. Make every effort in that area. All good things. And to be honest, in things that in different ways Paul's going to come to later on in his letter, but not what Paul thinks of as of first importance. As far as Paul is concerned, the primary way that we demonstrate who we are in Jesus is through humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Through making every effort to stay united and at peace with one another. Everything that Paul talks about here is about how we relate to one another. Because how we relate to one another and how we treat one another is the clearest display of what God has done in us and the way in which he has united us together as family. And when you first read this, or certainly when I first read this, when you kind of just read it as a, as a skim through, it all seems pretty straightforward and simple, doesn't it? Let's just be nice to each other. But as I've been preparing for today, I've found it really challenging. These are things that it's easy for us to kind of smile and nod and agree with and say, yeah, well, obviously... But in that moment, when we're hurt by someone, in that moment when our attitude is put to the test, it's suddenly a lot more difficult. Because people aren't always easy to be at peace with. Sometimes patience runs out. And responding gently at times feels like it's nearly impossible because you feel like you're biting through your tongue not to snap at someone. And this can be just as much true inside the church as it is outside of it. So let's try and get practical and unpack something of what Paul is saying here. 
He starts by describing a way of living that reflects and demonstrates what Jesus has done and who we are in him as being people who live with all humility and gentleness. And humility isn't really something that is is featured or modeled to us in our society. It's not a, a word that we use in a particularly positive way. And when we look around, it's just not something that we see people modeling. You know, when we look on social media, we all put up the pictures or the most normal thing to do. Maybe not everybody, but the most normal thing to do is we put up the pictures of ourselves when we're looking at our best. Or we put up the pictures of ourselves from the right kind of angle and with the right lighting. Or when we've managed to do our hair and our makeup. Or we took up the pictures of ourselves when we're in the, the most beautiful scenery. Or we've got cooked the most amazing meal. Why? Because we're proud. Yesterday I was cleaning my um, teeth outside the tent. I stayed overnight at the, um, on Friday night um, at the tent over at Wadebridge. I was cleaning my teeth in the morning outside of the tent. And um, just one of those times I ended up in a right mess. I had toothpaste all over my face and uh, I didn't have any water there. And I kind of came dashing into the tent wanting some water. And, uh, and Rosie said, no, go to the tap and clean yourself up which meant crossing the campsite in front of everybody, and meaning everybody would see me. And so I reacted, and I snapped at her and said, no, I want water here in the tent. Why? Because I've got a little bit of pride. And we kind of end up living with pride and growing to accept it. But pride is a big deal. It's a big issue. It's pride that means in an argument or in a broken relationship, I dig my heels in and justify myself. Justify my actions. And place the blame on other people. And talk about how terrible they've treated me. It's pride that means I think I'm the one in the right. And so why should I do this or that? They need to be the ones who make the effort now. Pride is simply the way that we describe any attitude that is focused on ourselves. On our rights, on our reputation, on what people think of us. And Paul says, we can't afford to put up with pride. We're called to display what Jesus has has done to the world. How in Christ, we've put ourselves to death. And we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Him. How in Christ, we've been united with one another. And so we're more passionate about being at peace than we are about being right. Paul calls us to see the big picture. To lift our heads from our offense and our divisions and to see how God is at work and what's at stake when we hold on to hurt. And the starting point is for us to be able to do this is for us to be people of humility. Because without humility, we can't. Take another step. 
And the greatest example we have of humility is Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is the one who is worthy of being served and yet chooses to come as a servant. Jesus is the one who is the creator of life and yet chooses to submit himself to death. Jesus is the one who doesn't try to hold on to his rights and his privileges and his blessings and what he's due and what he's owed and what he deserves. But he lays it all aside in order to serve you and me. So what we see in Jesus is that what it looks like to live with all humility is to put others first to such an extent that we're willing to serve them even when it costs us. And sometimes, do you know what, sometimes I think I'm okay with that. Sometimes I think, do you know what, I quite like serving people. It can be wonderful, it can be joyful, you can feel a thrill from kind of having helped people, you're appreciated and people thank you. You know, when serving becomes hard, when it costs us, is when people start treating us like a servant. It's quite nice to serve, it's not so nice to be treated like a servant. When someone likes, treat, when someone starts treating you as a servant, it's not so fun anymore. That's when we discover how proud we really are. Because pride rises up in us and something inside of us, even if we never verbalize it, something inside of us rises up to say, who do you think you are? How can you treat me like a doormat? Do you think I'm some kind of slave? You can see how hard I'm working. Why are you just sat there and you're not helping? What we see in Jesus is that what it looks like to be humble is to be the ones who reach out and make the first move. Even when we feel like we're the ones in the right or we're the ones who've been wronged and do something. That's how Jesus puts in humility into action because we read that it was while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. He put his love into action and reached out to us. He took the first move, even though he was the one who was owed everything. We can't afford to put up with pride in our hearts. And this kind of humility isn't easy, is it? But Paul is saying if we're going to be a people who live worthy of the calling, whose lives reflect what Jesus has done and who we now are in Christ, then we are to live with all humility. And I think part of the reason, I've been thinking about this and reflecting on this for, for a long time now, but I think part of the reason why this is such a challenge for us is because today and in our culture, we're constantly being told 
about the importance of self-worth and self-esteem, that we should have confidence in ourselves and know that we're great as we are, that we get given advice like you need to look in the mirror and tell yourself you're amazing, you're awesome. And essentially, this is the world's answer to the longing inside of each of us for security and acceptance and significance. And they're needs that each and every one of us have, and they're important needs, they're genuine needs. It is important to feel secure and accepted and significant. So much of what we've learned about that Paul's been talking to us about in Ephesians is how we can be secure, accepted and significant in Christ. The challenge for us is that the way that the world models to us to find these things is through boosting our own ego. Through focusing on ourselves in a way that really only serves to feed our pride. And if you were trying to to find your security and your acceptance and your significance by simply boosting your ego and telling yourself how amazing you are or, or having other people and fishing for compliments and getting other people to tell you how amazing you are, I don't think it will ever work. It might seem to work for a while, But because our security is based in ourselves or it's based in other people, the moment that we make a mistake or the moment that that person lets us down, our security crumbles. God wants you to be secure in who you are and to know that you're accepted and you belong, that you're enough. That you're significant and you have purpose. But the foundation for our security is not ourselves. It's not a foundation that's always at risk of falling apart. The foundation for our security is Jesus. It's who he is and what he has done. And who we are in him. You know, in Jesus, we find that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God designed us on purpose, that we're not an accident, that he doesn't make mistakes. That we are loved with such a great love, that he gives us such amazing value that he was willing to die for us. That our future is assured That we have an amazing Heavenly Father who promises to take care of us every single day. And so we don't have to look forwards with fear. And He's promised that He has a place for us that He's prepared for eternity. That our lives are significant and have an amazing purpose. Because God invites us to partner with Him for a purpose bigger than ourselves for the sake of His kingdom. So we can feel secure and accepted and significant, but it's nothing about who I am. It's all about who he is. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so that foundation is sure, and it is certain, and it will never crumble. I 
And when we get hold of this, when we find our security and our acceptance and our significance in who, not in, in ourselves and who we are, but in Jesus, that's when we get set free from pride. Because it frees us from worrying about what other people think of us. It frees us from always fighting for our rights and our reputation because if we lose hold of that, then who are we? It frees us from being focused on ourselves and enables us to be people of humility. To be honest about our weaknesses and our struggles and our mistakes and our failures, knowing that we're forgiven and we're accepted by God. We start to see our own faults so much more clearly than we see other people's. When we recognize that everything that we have is because of God's goodness, not because of anything to do with us, then we become willing to go low and to serve and to put others first. And not just to serve because it makes us feel good, but to be servants. You see, humility changes everything. And I think it's this attitude of humility, of laying down our rights and putting others first that is the foundation for everything else that Paul's going to write to us about, not only in these verses, but almost through the rest of the book of Ephesians. And when we get hold of humility, being gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love, it comes a lot more naturally. You know, I love that little statement. I don't know about you, but I love that little statement, bearing with one another in love. I love it because what Paul's really saying here is put up with one another. And there are times when you and I simply need putting up with. If we're going to stay united as one body and one family in Christ. We're not perfect. We make mistakes, every single one of us. And there are times I know that Rosie has to just put up with me. You know, I like to think that I've grown over the years and that I'm not as bad as I used to be. But I know there are still times when I'm grumpy and I'm irritable and I snap. I know there are still times when I make a mess and then just go out to my office and leave it. And I don't clean it up. And for the sake of our marriage and out of love for Rosie and out of my desire to put her first, I want to do everything I can to grow in those areas and change. But if we're going to stay united and married in the meantime, she's got to put up with me through that process. (laughs) And you know, really, this is the key to unity in the church. Bearing with one another in love means that we recognize that we're all a work in progress. And so we put up with each other through the process of transformation that God is working in us. We don't walk away from the difficult situations or turn our backs on one another. We are steadfast in our commitment to each other through thick and thin. And Paul knows this isn't easy. You know this isn't easy. (laughs) Paul knows 
that being committed to each other and bearing with one another in love and being people of humility It's not easy. And so he goes on and he says, make every effort to do this. It's going to take effort. There's going to be times when it's hard work and you just don't feel like it. We have to make an effort to hold back from certain things, to hold back from things like gossip and hold back from criticism, hold back from posting things on social media that we really know are going to be divisive and antagonistic. And we have to make an effort to be proactive and intentional about doing certain things. Like being the first to forgive and reach out relationally. Or the first to say that we're sorry. Like going out of our way to include people and show them that they matter and that they're part of things. And Paul wants us to know that it might not be easy. It might take an effort. It might be hard work, but it is so important. For Paul, this is so important because what unites us is not the fact that we get along. We are united because of what Jesus has done. It's Jesus who joins us together And so Paul tells us that it's our job to maintain or to keep the unity that God has created and not to do anything or to allow anything to divide and to separate. Not to allow the lesser things, the mistakes that people make or the differences in our personality to tear down what God has built. And this isn't just about being nice to each other. This is about God's promise for all of creation, for the end of days being put on display. In Ephesians 1 verse 10, we get a glimpse of something of this when Paul says that the purpose of God is to bring unity in heaven and on earth to all things under Christ. That the final purpose of God is to bring unity and harmony and peace in Jesus. And if this is God's promise for the future, then part of our purpose as the church today is to put on display here and now what God's purpose is for everybody else on that day. That we are to be a prophetic display as the body of Christ. That we are to be an advert to the world of the hope that we have in Jesus. And so for Paul, this is so important because this is a high calling. And so it's so important that if we're to live worthy, to live in a manner that reflects and puts on display this high calling, that we need to live with all humility and with all gentleness and with all patience, that we need to bear with one another in love and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. As I said earlier, it all sounds so nice and straightforward. Just be nice to each other until you start to really think about what it means. And I don't want to lessen how hard this is or how painful this can be. 
But what I do want to do is to create an opportunity for us to, to respond to God in the midst of it. To make a fresh commitment to say, Jesus, in response to all that I have freely received from you, I choose to live worthy. I choose to live for you and to put on display who you are and what you've done and the hope that we have to a world that needs it. And exactly what that looks like in this moment will be different for each and every one of you. Practically how you outwork that and the things that God brings to mind for you will be different. It might be that for you this is about being honest with God about your pride and asking him to forgive you and to help you grow in humility so that you're not so caught up in yourself. Or it might be about making a choice to forgive someone or making a choice to reach out to someone. Or maybe your heart has been stirred to commit to do all you can to include people and to make people ensure that no one feels like they're the one on the outside. It will look different for every single one of us. But whatever it is, it comes down to living lives that are worthy with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep and maintain the unity in the Spirit through the bond of peace. And as Paul says, this is something that requires action for us to be proactive and intentional in. And so to help us with that, as we respond, and as I say, it will be different for every one of us, But to help us with that, I want to call you to action this morning as your way of saying, God, I want to take action. This is going to be reflected in how I live. And so I don't do this very often, but if that's something that you want to do today to make that commitment, say, Jesus, I want to take action. In the light of what you have done for me, live worthy. I want to commit myself to make every effort for unity every effort to grow in humility. And as a sign of that, I want to ask you to stand this morning as your way of saying, I am taking action. I am making this commitment. And then I would love to pray for you. So if that's something you want to do, then just stand now, and then I would love to pray for you. Heavenly Father, you know all that's going on in every single heart in this room. You know those who have been able to stand with joy and those who are standing and it's costing them. But Jesus, for every single one of us, you love us the same. 
And you are delighted that we are making this stand to say we want to live for you. And Jesus, I pray that you would come now and meet with every person here. That you would remind them of all that you've done for them, of who they are in you. That you would remind them of the amazing blessings that they have in you. That this wouldn't be them standing up out of a sense of of duty and obligation, feeling like this is what I've got to do. But, But this would be a matter of you speaking into the hearts of every person here. My dear boy, my dear girl. Remember who you are. Remember what I've done and now live. Live worthy. Live up to your calling. Jesus, I pray that you would come and by your spirit that you would highlight into every single one of our hearts the things that you're wanting to put your finger on. Where you're wanting to deal with pride, I pray that you would, with love, Expose it now. And that you would help us to, to surrender to you in that area of our lives. To lay that down. That we would be set free to be servants. Set free to be humble people who put others first. Jesus, where there are people that we need to forgive. Today... We may not feel like it, but we make a choice to say we choose to forgive. And I pray that as that choice is made, that you would begin to work in the hearts of every person here who needs it. To set them free from anger and bitterness. That what has been done would not have a hold on them any longer. And Jesus, I pray that you would stir our hearts to be people who are proactive in making every effort to be united together, that we would be bonded together in our care for one another, in phone calls and messages and visits. We would be bonded together in our care for difficult situations. We'd be bonded together in how we welcome people and unite people in. We'd be bonded together um, in, in the way in which we, we commit to be steadfast and stand with one another through thick and thin. Jesus, I pray that you would bond us together as a church. And that you would enable us to put on display the hope to the world that we have in you. Jesus, come and bless each and every person here. And those who maybe have not felt able to respond, I pray that you would meet with them and that they would know that you love them and that you're for them. And they would know that You are faithful to them and stand by them through this difficult time. Come and bless each person here, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.